Hello and welcome back to the Create Me Podcast. This is going to be episode 75 and it's with local musician Oliver Richard. I had a really cool chat with Oliver during this episode, so I hope you guys enjoy. Covered quite a lot during our chat, so yeah, I'll be with you at the end as usual. Alright, see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Create Me Podcast. This is going to be episode 75 and we are in that Moon Studio space and today my guest is Oliver Richard. Yeah. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I forgot to mention you're a musician. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So how's it going, man? I'm well. I've lost my voice a little bit, as oh, you can okay. probably hear, but right. other than that, I'm doing really good. It's that time of year, anyway. I've come out, I was out for the count a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, this offer of viral infection and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all good. Glad that you're here. I mean, good to have a little catch up as well. But mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, one thing, like, I know we've had a lot of kind of messages back and forth and stuff, and you sent me a lot of links to your work, and I think, you know, it's be definitely an interesting chat. Um, for the listeners but I want to kind of find out from you where this kind of your kind of creative journey was started okay um, well when I was young maybe five years old mm-hmm. I was uh, put in front of a piano and that was like my thing I had to do that before I went to school every morning and uh, then I took up the cello so from a very young age I was playing music but I would say up until about the age of 12 it was just quite a cerebral kind of thing it mm. just it almost felt like doing schoolwork. okay um and then around about the age of 12 i started discovering that music um had all this hinterland it was like an iceberg you know you had the stuff that you thought was just your scales and your practice in the morning and then beneath that there was this huge mass of creativity that i hadn't really explored yeah um, which i guess is just a part of maturing and growing up anyway mm-hmm. um so yeah i guess it Properly began when I was about 12. That's probably okay. when I started writing songs in a very common well. Okay. But they were terrible. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's be honest. But yeah, before that, I was just practicing and learning how to play an instrument, basically. Okay. Is that from like your parents then with the piano mm-hmm. and stuff? For them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I played piano and cello. Mm-hmm. And my sister played piano and violin. Okay. And there was orchestras and, you know, string orchestras and grades and all that. And it, I didn't hate it or anything, but it didn't really, there wasn't that passion. Okay. Like that. Right. But then over time, it became more like a second language to me. Okay. And I think it's been with me for, it must be 25 years now. So, oh, okay. so I've been doing right. this for that long. It, it just becomes like second nature after mm-hmm. a certain point. Yeah. So that would be um, how it all started out. Yeah. Cool. And when do you think you actually kind of, that kind of curve from taking it like from that interest and that kind of hobby, when did you actually start taking it seriously and mm. getting into that kind of career path with your music? Um, for me, like the big turning point was when I was 16, I entered the school talent show. I'd written a song on the guitar. I'd started playing guitar. Um, I taught myself how to play it. And uh, it was a very angsty song, a very 16 year old song. Yeah. I think it was called, um, Dark world, dark times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, I won. Right. So I couldn't believe it. I was standing on stage and I won and I, I felt what it felt like to have people cheering. And yeah. I remember I got a check, um, which I then went and bought a multi-track recorder with. And I started recording stuff at home. And from that point, I kind of realized that this is this is something I could chase. This oh, is okay. really real. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, it just became like this sort of innate impulse. Mm-hmm. And whether it didn't matter kind of what I was doing, I knew I was always going to have that yeah. within me until I was dead, basically. That must have been a decent check then to get. <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Well, I'm not sure it covered the whole... I've been saving up for a while. Oh, yeah. And they said, 
like you you can have studio time. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be one studio time. Oh, okay. And I over they heard, overheard me saying to one of my friends, "Oh, I wish I wish I just got the money." Yeah. And then he went, "Oh, you can have the money." So. Oh, sweet. I think oh, it was only cool. about seventy five quid, but I'd yeah. already saved up so much that. Oh, okay. I got this money track. All right. So when that from that point from sixteen years old mm-hmm. and kind of do you, you know winning that competition. I guess that is quite a, a massive bit of self kind of recognition, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It felt bizarre because yeah. before that point, I'd been very protective mm-hmm. um, and I'd only ever played songs on my own. Right. I didn't like singing in front of people, mm-hmm. even though there was no secret I was musical. Yeah. I was still doing my piano exams, my cello exams, mm-hmm. um, and I'd been in choirs and things like that. But for some reason, when, you, when you've written the work or when it's your, like, you know yourself as a creative person, when, it, when it's from you. Yeah. It's much more intimate. Yeah, introducing yeah. someone to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, to to perform that song on stage and to to be chosen in where it comes as the winner, um, yeah, I, I suppose that was the real catalyst. Yeah, I think yeah, that's kind of really spot on. I think when you're something that you you you're creating and you put out there. It's kind of like, the, I don't know, I could say like the fear of actually mm. the criticism that might come yeah. your way. You know, friends yeah. and family are always going to be like, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. And that, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff. But it's, it's that kind of challenge. And I think that's kind of thing with creative people. There might be that thing of just like everyone knows what you do. And everyone's like, oh, man, you're amazing. But it's that self-belief as well. Mm. And, being, and, and being comfortable with... Yeah, with I think creative. it was kind of inverted for me in that I believed a lot in it. But oh, okay. I, I, I was like, I, I don't... I, I suppose it felt kind of painful the idea that someone could turn around and go this is terrible mm-hmm. or i don't like this yeah. even though i loved it i don't know it'd be like loving something and then showing something to someone and they go no i hate it mm-hmm. and trying to qualify the two in your own head yeah so actually it was actually more around my own family that i was protective for a long time I, okay <laughs> i remember i wouldn't play in for a mom or dad or my right. sister or anything like that um which has kind of softened over the years yeah um Maybe you're right. Maybe as you become more self-confident and mm-hmm. you start owning yourself, yeah. it doesn't matter. It becomes less and less important what anyone thinks of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think so, you know, for you, that time, you know, winning that school, kind of like the competition and, you know, and what else was like in that kind of like creative path? Were, were there any other kind of benchmarks or kind of really key moments that kind of like helped you in your career? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, yeah, I then... After that, I started singing for a band at school as well. Mm-hmm. I was doing my own thing. And then we won again the next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was another high moment for me. Um, but to be honest, that was a bit... Uh, I look back and I kind of cringe. I, I didn't really want to give everything I had to that band. Okay. Like, I wouldn't give them lyrics. For some reason, I would never write lyrics. I always made up lyrics on the spot, right. which sounds cool it wasn't oh, yeah. um, the methods were good I was pleased with what I was doing melodically yeah. but uh, it was a high school band it wasn't important but um, yeah we won again so yeah. that really kind of compounded my my ideas mm-hmm. um, and I was I was listening to so much I still listen to a lot of music but I was I mean my appetite for music was at its peak when I was at 16 I was just taking stuff in whereas yeah. nowadays I feel like it's split between taking stuff in and putting stuff out Okay. back then it was just absorbing everything right um, and so I was looking to all my heroes and going, I, I want to, to, to live that. Mm-hmm. I want to be like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd say um, winning those two shows. Uh, also, I suppose in another respect, I was sitting exams, which was a lot more um, academic. You had yeah. to learn stuff, go do an exam, play scales, do a test, get a mark. Mm-hmm. And that was very um, clinical, mm-hmm. but I was still doing well with those as well. So yeah. I kind of had this 
affirmation both from the creative side and yeah. from the more analytical side that this was mm-hmm. going to work oh okay and for you then growing up who was kind of like you know you mentioned like taking a lot of kind of people that you were following in yeah music who was that like, influencing mm. you then right okay. well the the kind of the peak moment for me where things really like a light was switched on was i was 12 I was watching Top of the Pops, which was still on TV by then. Oh, yeah. 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 People were listening. You yeah. you definitely know Top of the Pops. So yeah, if you yeah. don't, look up on YouTube. <laughs> it's gone now, but back yeah. in the day, that was the thing, right? Yeah. And um, this band called Muse came on. Okay. And the lead singer had this red hair and it was in points. Right. And I remember he played the electric guitar. And I'd never heard, I'd never really listened to electric guitar before. Right. I'd only been playing classical music up okay. until about the age of 12. I'd heard a little bit of things like Paul Simon and ABBA. But nothing, I w- my parents weren't into pop or anything like that, or rock, so I wasn't like one of these guys whose dad introduced them to his record collection, yeah. and so you had that knowledge of what came before you. So to hear Muse and to hear what they were doing with the electric guitar, um, I just couldn't believe it. It was, mm. it was unbelievable. And to learn that you could put your guitar through an effects pedal, and, mm. and suddenly you're turning on an effects pedal, and it changes what the guitar sounds yeah. like. So um, that was... Muse, I was a massive Muse fan. Okay. And then everything just started bleeding out from there. So from Muse, I found Nina Simone because, oh, cool. you know, yeah. they do feeling good. So then yeah. I found Nina Simone and I started looking into Nina Simone stuff. Mm-hmm. And then someone said, oh, Matt Bellamy, he sings in falsetto. That's like Jeff Buckley. Yeah. So I started listening to Jeff Buckley. And then I remember reading an interview and they're talking about Tom Waits. And before you know it, you, you start just, you know, diffusing into all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So Muse was my gateway drug. Okay. And everything else came after that. Yeah. I'm sure Muse has paid in that video. A friend told me they paid, yeah, they paid at Kef. I think it was. Did they? I think so. Wow. And that's from what a friend told me. Kef, I think it used to be on Belmont Street. Yeah, yeah. And I think after, if anyone was there, let us know. She said, yeah. got me a message and stuff. Maybe I'm stalking out of my ass, but. Kef? Yeah, I think my friend told me Gee, that they played at Okay. I never knew they played something as small as Kef. Yeah, I think they're the first kind of up and coming, apparently. I remember playing Kef. It was called. Lava before that. Okay. It was Lava than Kef. Oh. It was a cool, cool venue. It, it was, was like, yeah. Have you been in? Yeah, I remember years ago. It had like a glass window, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, everyone remembers Kef, give us a shout out. <laughs> so yeah, so obviously then for you, like your interest in music, I know it's been this kind of a range of different group of musicians and solo artists as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. And kind of going how back to your own kind of like, you know, work and stuff, like, how have you seen that kind of evolve over time? How do you mean? Like, in a sense of like, when you started, what do you think are the key points that have actually changed in the style, how you sing? And in stuff? my own yeah, style? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, practically, I think something that's kind of set me apart from the crowd is I do everything on my own. Mm-hmm. So when I play live... I'm actually standing up, but I'm playing like a kick drum with my foot. Okay. And I'm playing some pedals on the ground with my foot. Um, and I'm bringing in loops and samples right. um, and drum machines and stuff. So it's like a one-man band experience. Mm-hmm. I kind of shy away from saying one-man band right. because I think it has a lot of baggage. Mm-hmm. Like if you say one-man band, a lot of people think you're sitting down with a pork pie hat and yeah. playing like slide yeah. guitar <laughs> with a, you know, and you're just playing 12-bar blues over and over again. So it's nothing like that. Right. Um, so I think my sound's become much bigger. It used to just be me and a, an acoustic guitar. Okay. And then after a year, I went electric. And um, and then I started adding little bits in. Like I added in a kick drum. And then I started adding in loops. And then I started adding in bass loops. And now I'm playing with samplers and, and yeah. I'm playing with... The more I, I started paying, especially since about 2013, 
started paying more attention to hip hop and I started listening to all the cool stuff that they're doing yeah. like Flappy Zombies and Kanye West and all that with their production values and thinking the stuff they're doing is insane yeah. and you can't always get there with an acoustic instrument or even an, an electric instrument sometimes mm-hmm. you have to go into this crazy world of sampling and, and looping a bit more experimental yeah, yeah. so I like fuse. I think now it's quite irreverent I'll just put whatever I want together mm-hmm. and maybe I wouldn't have done that 10 years ago I think right. I was a bit more purist oh okay alright mm. and do you think then like you know as a musician like how, like what kind of do you put a lot of kind of pressure on yourself do you when you're producing a song do you kind of like no start again start yeah. again yeah yeah I've deleted right. my album three times oh okay yeah, well yeah. Right. so I recorded <laughs> So I started learning how to record when I was 16. Yeah. And if I knew how hard recording was, I'd have never started. Okay. Because, like, you'll know. Yeah. It's, it's horrific. Yeah. I don't recommend it to anyone <laughs> unless you really want to do it. It's one of these things, unless you love it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard. Yeah. And when you say to people it's hard, they don't believe you. They mm-hmm. go, well, you're just making that louder, that quieter. Yeah. They don't know anything about parallel compression or equalizers you know, <laughs> and expanders and all that. Exactly. Thank God, like you're on there explaining this as well, because like mm. you know, compared to like the wave file and the MP3 files, oh, yeah. are major differences. Oh as yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know? And so when you start getting into the nitty gritty, yeah. which you have to yeah. if you want your stuff to sound the way you want it in your head, mm-hmm. um, it's it really is like. It's like you open the door a crack and then all the tidal wave just bursts through the <laughs> yeah, door yeah. and you're never coming back. Mm-hmm. So um, I started recording when I was 16. I recorded a little EP called The Cave EP and I was going to give it to my... He's still my idol, Nick Cave. Oh, I was going to give it to him after a show and yeah. I'm so glad I got too nervous and I didn't do that. Okay. Because I would be embarrassed right. <laughs> if I'd actually give him that yeah. EP. Um, then I recorded this collection of 10 songs mm-hmm and it didn't sound the way I wanted it to and now I know why back then you just go this doesn't sound right yeah I don't know why it just doesn't yeah and then you learn the time oh it's because this or that technically didn't happen so I deleted that then I did it again in my mid-20s and I found out just when I finished about 16-bit versus 24-bit files yeah and I thought nope if the industry standard is 24-bit and my multi-track 16-bit this is going in the bin <laughs> so I sold that I bought a 24-track recorder and then I thought right, I'm going to slow down I'm actually going to do some other releases and try and um, figure out what I'm doing technically before I try and catch the album again Yeah. so that was when I started releasing singles and EPs which is what I've been doing and now I've moved over fully in, in the box which means I'm recording in a computer Okay. so now he's a MacBook and I use mm-hmm. a program called Reaper right. and um, yeah now I'm ready Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So, like, um, with your own music, then, where's that Where's that kind of tends taking you in terms of travels and actually performing? Yeah, it's mainly just over Scotland. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything beyond Scotland. Mm-hmm. Apart from technically, I went to India for something totally different. Okay. Um, I was learning to become a yoga teacher, right. and uh, there was a guy in the shop, and he made me do an impromptu performance in the shop, right. which was nice. Yeah. Um, so that was that's the furthest technically okay. but come on that's technical that wasn't a gig or anything yeah <laughs> but still I guess like you know I think all these kind of moments that kind of come spring upon you I don't know whether it took out took you out of your comfort zone and stuff absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know just like oh I yeah. perform kind of thing mm. it's like but how did, how did that kind of go down then when you did that this night like, oh, he, he was so open hearted and yeah. he was such a he was such a sweet guy mm-hmm. um, and you know what was crazy when you go to India you realise well in case you haven't already realised it, the world's a big place mm-hmm. and Western music is not a big deal around the rest of the world. Oh, yeah, that's it. yeah. absolutely, yeah. 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 So I remember I went to Trinidad 
and it's all about soca music yeah. and they don't give a crap about all the stuff you think's a big deal. So anyway, I'm, I'm in India and no one's heard of anything and I, I didn't have a problem with that. I knew that it would yeah. be like that. Yeah. But this guy, he started asking me about the doors and, and the who. Now, I don't listen to the doors and the who, but I know yeah. who they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was like a dyed-in-the-wool Mysore Indian guy, but he knew all this 70s rock. So yeah. I'm guessing it made its way over to him Somehow. At that point, when he's when yeah. he was growing up, or he, something, he yeah. definitely didn't know anything beyond seventies. Oh, okay. For some reason, it was just seventies. So stuck in that uh, yeah. time period. Okay. So I, I did my best to sort of relate to him on that, and yeah. um, then he just sort of put one of. The, it was funny. All the guitars were fake, oh, right. so they were all like <laughs> Shibanez and Gender guitars yeah. and Flicks and all that mm. instead of Gibson. But yeah. um, he just put a guitar in my hands and said, "Play." Oh, okay. But yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit arresting yeah <laughs> uh, my partner she actually filmed it and put right. it on facebook so there's a couple of videos from oh, okay facebook. that's cool he had some really beautiful drums they were like um if you imagine a giant m&m made out of metal Jeez. like like the m&m scoop, yeah yeah but you tap it and it's called a tongue drum okay and um i really want to buy one of those but there's right. no way i was gonna get it home oh yeah massive thing to yeah get. it was yeah. huge <laughs> yeah so he had this wonderful collection of stuff one thing as well like i've kind of just this is a random question I'm gonna ask you, mm. but um, I was kind of thought like the, in my view, that the creative mind can be a restless mind. Yeah, I don't know if you kind of like as a musician as well and a creative. Yeah. Do you kind of feel that as well? That yeah, or kind of like either find it hard to sleep or kind of just thinking of ideas mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's nice to hear you say that. Yeah, I actually have copious file systems in my phone right. for when you get ideas on the move. Okay, um, I've got a voice recorder in my phone, so you can just record stuff. Um, notebooks mm-hmm. I've realised now that ideas come and you need to be receptive you need to be fertile yeah, yeah. and if you weren't the idea goes mm-hmm. so I, I went through that whole thing of oh it's such a good idea I'll remember it tomorrow and then split seconds gone gone yeah. Yeah. and you think oh man that was a good idea and it's gone so I record everything and it is sometimes antisocial sometimes mm-hmm. I have to take myself away from a situation just so I can go write down an idea yeah. people think you're on Facebook or something <laughs> um and the sleep thing, yeah, especially with this release, I, I did the video myself and I recorded the song myself, so I've been kind of stretched fairly thin and I don't have a problem sleeping really, but I would lie in bed at night and I was saying when I closed my eyes, I would just see the video, like I've been editing it all day, so I'd just see <laughs> Final Cut Pro when I shut my eyes, it was horrible. It's a really impressive video as well and that's for the single They Don't Deserve Me. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. like, what I once kind of touched with you on that is just like, um, what was the kind of for you the meaning obviously buying the titles where you kind of obviously obviously they don't deserve me but what was the kind of themes coming out with this single yeah well I wanted it to be provocative Mm -hmm. Um, the song used to be called Slow Worm Mm -hmm. for a long time but I knew it wasn't going to stay like that it kind of evolved Um, it really I I was writing about it today for someone and um, I guess at the core of it I don't want to tell people how to receive the song I do want to challenge people Mm -hmm. Um, so, excuse me, with They Don't Deserve Me, it's, it's bringing up this question of, is, is genuine arrogance worse than, than false humility? Right. So something that really irks me is when I meet someone who's like humble bragging or they're, they're not really genuinely <laughs> as humble as they come yeah, across. Yeah. And you see a lot on Instagram, mm-hmm. you'll see someone beautiful Going, oh man, just having a lazy day, no makeup, just up. You're like, this is bullshit. Yeah. You know, you know. Um, so that kind of thing bugs me. And I think it's getting worse with social media yeah. because everyone is now living that you can, you have your social media um, personas. Yeah. Persona. Yeah. 
And so it's very, um, you know, everything's very cultured online and you can just put exactly what you want online. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it bugs me so much. I wanted to write something that was provocative. Mm -hmm. I also feel like people, it's weird. I was thinking about it. It's quite polarized. You get very offensive, horrible stuff coming out online. Mm -hmm. But I think the majority is people become very anodyne and neutral because they're worried of social media backlash. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but I kind of feel like um, that is, definitely spot on I think there's that kind of thing if somebody sees something that's not right and there's almost like a fear mm. to comment on it because then you feel like oh I'm just going to get attacked exactly, and stuff right. and the whole thing about social media it's like it's real on that moment online but in reality I don't think you know anyone really having these really kind of weird conversations with each mm-hmm. other or like or someone's been a complete arsehole I don't think they would actually go and do that unless you, everyone mm-hmm. knew this person's an arsehole exactly. and they're just going to speak their mind and it's, and it's so bizarre how it kind of gets a turns into a bit of like a self-contained little bubble yeah that everyone comments on it to themselves like mm-hmm. messages each other but they don't actually kind of call the person out no. and stuff no. the, with the fear is like yeah. I'm going to get attacked Bird mentality yeah you get drawn into the trolling effect and all that absolutely. stuff absolutely like, yeah. and, and I think it's uh, the the peak of it is when you look at I don't want to get all political but when yeah. you look at politicians they're like Teflon they're, yeah. they will speak in a way that nothing sticks mm. And they will be as cautious with their words as possible because they want, unless you get some, you either get really extreme, yeah. mainly far right, mm-hmm. or you get very just neutral politicians mm-hmm. and they're interchangeable. Yeah. They're just white guys in suits. Yeah. You can just yeah. swap it out and you'd be a different guy. <laughs> um, because they're worried about trials by Twitter. Mm. They're worried about social media backlash. Yeah. You get it with, I see it a lot with, if you read interviews with Hollywood A-list actors, mm-hmm. um, they're very careful to make sure that they don't say anything that's going to tilt oh, yeah. their profile. Yeah, yeah. So I know I'm not, I don't fit either of those groups, but I just, I'm going to do something willfully provocative. Mm-hmm. And even the video, I thought I'm going to go as over the top as possible. I'm going to climb onto as many metaphorical pedestals as possible. And then it's up to the viewer if they're going to tear me down and go, this guy's an asshole, or if they're going to laugh, or if they're going to be, I'd quite like people to feel, um, kind of inspired a bit by the song as well because sometimes you do legitimately come out of a situation yeah. that you didn't deserve mm-hmm. or you meet someone who treats you a way that was not right and yeah. you're beyond it mm-hmm. so um yeah that's that's kind of the central core of the song for me okay cool and the single came out was it monday sunday sunday yeah. sunday so i guess the, um what day was that the 13th yeah sunday the 13th and how's it been received so far very well oh, um, awesome thankfully no one's been uh, well I wouldn't mind if people hated it but mm. it seems to be pretty positive so far oh, okay that's cool I'm getting a lot of nice stuff sent to me um, I'm happy with how it's been received mm-hmm. but like I said I don't mind if people dislike it either um, yeah. I think the worst thing would be if someone's apathetic mm-hmm. if someone watched it and was like yeah I don't really care yeah that would hurt me more than if oh, someone okay. hated it so it's how you want the kind of oh that's really cool or somebody saying actually this is yeah, oh, I don't know. Oh, this is shit. I don't really get it. I kind of feel like criticism, though, of any nature, of any kind of level, I think it allows to engage in conversation. Yeah. Or debate as well. Yeah. You know, about For things. me, it's like yeah. a wall. It gives you a handhold. Yeah. If, if there's nothing, then you don't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I always kind of always kind of ask people for like feedback and stuff. And I think people would think, like, oh no, like, oh yeah, that's really cool. I think, like, oh no, you can actually say, mm-hmm. oh no, that was cool, or yes, or no, mm-hmm. and stuff. Look, that helps me. Yeah. what I'm doing you know? yeah I mean it's an interesting one I would say that's definitely true of something mm-hmm. like when I teach yoga if I give someone a physical adjustment mm-hmm. I want them to say oh no no thank you or yes that's, yeah. that's good because I need to know if they're 
if it's going to work for them physically. Mm-hmm. With art, I create for myself. So if someone says I really don't like that, it wouldn't change. I wouldn't then go, well, they didn't like that. So next time I won't do that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's certainly, I think it just adds energy. Yeah. I think if someone has no reaction, that actually takes energy out of a situation. Mm-hmm. Like when I play to a live crowd, if there's a very flat response, that draws energy out of me. Mm-hmm. But if I get a great response or if I get a terrible response and I've had both, yeah. that gives me something to bounce off. Mm-hmm. You can you can channel that energy in something. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely 100% agree. I think one thing I want to touch on with you as well is like, you know, like it's almost kind of like with a podcast, it's almost like three degrees of separation. Yeah. on here previous guests and stuff yeah, and yeah. obviously like you know we spoke off mic about a Constantine artist mm-hmm. I interviewed him last year and that's, uh, that was actually in my living room was it? yeah oh, okay. actually at my house cool. and I was lacking studio space and stuff but he did some artwork for you as well so did. How, how did that how did it all come about? okay so I released a record in 2016 called Whitefinger and that was an EP and I worked with a guy called Graham McDonald photographer mm-hmm. does great stuff uses a lot of post, post stuff in Photoshop so it, it's quite um I wouldn't say surreal, but it's certainly not like um, hyper-realistic photography he does. He does like, um, I can't remember the word he uses for it, but it's great stuff. Check him out. He interviewed on his YouTube channel, Constantine. Mm -hmm. And so I knew Grim. I saw the interview with Constantine. I liked the cut of his jib. Mm -hmm. I thought he seemed like a cool guy. I checked out his Instagram. I really liked some of the stuff I saw on his Instagram. And I thought he's working in a square format, which is a record. A record is square. Yeah. Um, thumbnails are square online um, I wanted a profile shot of my face for the record but I was also because They Don't Deserve Me is pushing in different directions musically I was also totally open to going somewhere very different with the artwork yeah. so all my preceding releases have been f- photographs and I thought let's try see if painting works Yeah. Um, so that's that gave me the initial idea. I got in touch with them and eventually we managed to hook something up. And oh, that's cool. It went really nicely. Yeah, no, I saw, I saw, I saw the artwork as well. Mm. That's really cool, man. Mm. Um, one thing as well, we're going to be like the recurring film in competitions and you. I know, right? You won a competition as know, well. Was, yeah. that, was that this year you won that competition? No, it was the end of last year. End of last year. I know, and it's strange because I feel like morally I'm totally against them. Okay. In some ways I, I disgust myself. Yeah. But... Uh, Frankly, I think my music sometimes a bit of a hard sell. I find it difficult to describe it. I think everyone feels that with their own art. Yeah. Um, but I do genuinely think mine's maybe a little more left field than some. It's mm-hmm. it's not quite as easy to categorize. It's definitely some form of rock at the moment, but that subject change. And it doesn't, especially seeing as I'm on my own when I perform live, I think sometimes people don't know how to put me in a show, for example. Oh, okay. um, and so... Something I found is a really easy way for me to get ears, basically, is by entering competitions. Um, Because then you're kind of, you're pushed into the running um, and the audience has to receive you whether they want to or not, even though you're maybe a little harder to digest. And maybe it's just that latent thing from doing the talent shows when I was 16 yeah. and go about driver. But I actually don't think music is uh, an objective thing. Yeah. I don't think there's anything objective about music. I don't think you can say that track is better than this. Mm-hmm. I kind of vacillate on this. For example, like I think last year I started believing that no, music is objective. Like I hate Ed Sheeran. He is bad. And I don't like Ed Sheeran. <laughs> but this year I'm, I'm getting more subjective again. And I'm like, nah, he's good because if there is a party of 13-year-old girls yeah. and 
you said, what's the best music for that party? You'd put on an Ed Sheeran record. You've been putting yeah. on my records, that'd be yeah, terrible. Yeah. So my music would not be good in that situation. Mm -hmm. So surely it depends on context. And then I thought it's also patronizing to say to people, your music taste is bad. Because then you're not taking into account their whole life story and their And that's it. And if you've got a bunch of like 13-year-olds as well, like mm. they will grow up and they will kind of tap into changes, different genres right? of music. And then like, my kind of taste of music always kind of changes. Well, I don't listen to one set mm. of kind of music. Kind mm. of start, the older I got, I kind of learned to appreciate different types of great. music as well. And I think, yeah, I kind of had the same kind of opinion on Ed Sheeran as well. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think all these songs sound the same. I find it hard with him. Yeah. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Um, he does seem like a nice guy, but the mm. whole kind of rapping with the guitar thing. and Ah, uh, it makes me know. cringe, man. Yeah, it's kind of cringy. Yeah. I don't know why. I just find it cringy. I read an interesting thing about him, though, which is um, I have this big appetite for reading yeah. how records are made. Mm -hmm. So there's an online magazine called Sound on Sound. It's a recording magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, they did an article last year, so I read it. And when he was trying to break into this, the music industry, he actually, and I really respected him for this, he recorded an EP in one style, mm. sold, he sold it out over time through gigs. Yeah. And with money raised, he went and recorded another EP. And he did this five times. And each EP, he tried out a different style oh, okay. to see right. which would catch on the most. Yeah. And I think it was his final EP, um, which he was funding through his own hard work. Mm -hmm. His final EP was exactly as you described. It was the rapping mixed yeah. with the small acoustic guitars yeah. and the looping. Mm -hmm. And people went nuts for it. Mm -hmm. So fair play to him. He he um, he worked for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I respect that. And I try and make sure I, I don't come down too hard and stuff I don't like. I know yeah. people who know me personally would maybe say I'm a music snob. But <laughs> I try and temper that. Yeah. It's subjective. It really is. <laughs> So the competition you won, was that for um, uh, yeah, yeah. last year? Yeah, that was... sorry, that was, um, so there's this instrument called a stylophone, yeah. and they were celebrating 50 years, mm -hmm. it's been played by everyone and anyone, it's on so many recordings, it's kind of like a toy. Yeah, they were quite big in like, what, the 70s, yeah. 80s kind of yeah. period, yeah. So David Bowie used one in Space Oddity, I think that's probably his most famous um, track. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, Stylophone did this competition where they said, make a track, two minutes or less, main body of the track is Stylophone. Now they've released some other instruments, so you could, there's actually a better Stylophone okay. called the Gen X1. Um, and I, th I, I thought, yeah, why not? It's, yeah. it's being judged by Tony Visconti. He was David Bowie's producer, so I have a lot of respect for him. He produced some of David Bowie, some of my favourite David Bowie albums. Okay. Like, um... His Berlin trilogy that he released when he was in Berlin. Also, his last album, Black Star, before he died. Um, I like the idea of working within a two-minute structure. Yeah. It felt almost like doing score for a film or something. Oh, and right. being told, you've got 30 seconds to create an emotional um, moment here. Mm -hmm. um, and also being dictated to that it had to be all stylophone. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't touching a guitar. Um, I had to think about how I was approaching the vocal mm -hmm. because... Too much vocal meant that it was no longer a stylophone track. Oh, okay. So I had to be very um, abstemious with what lyrics I was using. I had to cut a lot of lyrics out. Right. Um, I entered. I did a video for it because I figured things with videos normally get more attention nowadays. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So I cut a video one night in my flat, um, which was a lot of fun. And uh, then I won, which was which was great. Um, I want a box of cool stuff from Stylophone. Mm. And it just gives me, for me, the, the most valuable thing from that experience was 
and now I have a bit more currency. Like yeah. if I get in touch with a promoter, I can go, oh, by the way, Tony Visconti, blah. Oh, and yeah. they immediately go, oh, oh okay, okay so we'll it, talk to you now. The ears perk up a bit. Exactly. Then, yeah. Whereas yeah. if you just go, I'm just some random guy, they go, I'm not interested to see it. Yeah. Right. So to have something to hang your hat on like that is useful, especially really nowadays. Cool. There's so much white noise, there's so many other people out there, you've got to try and stand out. Yeah. So it's a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're right. Competitions seem to be somewhat of a recurring theme. Yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> yeah. look into that. That's really cool. And so, like, for you, in terms of like, you know, your kind of like, you know, your music and stuff. Like, what are things that are kind of you got plans for? Like, coming towards, well, coming to, well, I guess we're in October now, but mm. you know, someone's kind of shifting towards the end of the year soon. Yeah. And like, what's the plans for the rest of this year and also 2020? Yeah. I have, in the very immediate future, I'm doing promo for the single release, so I'll be on local radio, mm-hmm. and I'll, um, of course, this will come out after that, so yeah. that's coming on. I've got a live show coming up. Um, so there's some live work, there's some more interviews to go. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of October, actually, no, this week, I've got um, a week of recording scheduled. I've blocked out okay, um, cool. maybe five, six days. Mm-hmm. So I have started my next project. Um, I'll keep my powder dry. I won't say what it is, but it's quite a big project. It's the biggest thing I've tackled. Um, So there's going to be a lot of recording, which means, by extension, a lot of mixing next year. Um, I've got a show lined up for next year so far. Um, Again, I'm not allowed to say what that is yet, but there is a show coming up. And um, yeah, I've got my finger in a few pies. You'll definitely be hearing from me. Oh, nice mm-hmm. one. Yeah, definitely get you back on next year. Oh, well. yeah, That'd be please. awesome if I never catch that. up, man. Mm-hmm. So where can like the listeners kind of like check out your work on like online mm-hmm. and stuff? Well, I'm everywhere that you have to be as a musician now. Like social media is just Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all yeah, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan, but yeah. I have to be on it. I yeah. for a long time I cut my nose off to spy my face. Mm-hmm. I really resisted all of them. I didn't yeah. go on any of them. And all that I realized I did was I just missed out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. I had so many people come up to me at the end of gigs and go, that's great, you're on Facebook? And I go, no, I hate Facebook. And then their face falls and they just walk away. And you think, oh, I just blew that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was really late to the party with social media. Um, I do quite like Instagram, actually. I don't know yeah. why. For me, that appeals a little more. Facebook, I loathe, but I use it. And I now know how to play the game mm-hmm. with, with Facebook. Twitter is like a graveyard. You can go to my Twitter and it is dead for me, but yeah. I am there if you want me there. Mm. Very occasionally I get like a tumbleweed and then a little like <laughs> here and there. Um, so I am on Twitter. Mm. Uh, the best way to, to find out about me is go to my website because all the links are there on yeah. the landing page. So you go to the website, which is oliverrichard.com. Cool. Right. All one word, Oliver yeah. Richard, no S in the end of my name, mm-hmm. dot com. Right. And you've got all the links to Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I really like using YouTube. Yeah. So, um, I'll put the link actually in your episode description. Nice. To use the, to the new um, yeah, single as well. So that would be really cool for listeners to go and check mm-hmm. out as well. But thank you so much for being episode 75 and finally getting this chat on. Yeah. Thanks awesome, man. Yeah. Man. man. yeah thanks, good to be here. Yeah. So hope you guys enjoyed and we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Take care for now. So yeah, that was episode 75 with Oliver Richard. I want to thank Oliver for coming on the podcast and sharing his story with us. His single, They Don't Deserve Me, is out now. I'm going to put all the links in the episode description. So yeah, definitely go and check out his work. And moving forward, I'm going to be doing more chats here and there throughout the November month as well. Some really cool guests I'm looking forward to catching up with. And also some other really cool news. Um, Big Up The Dean is going to be at the Etsy Christmas Showcase this year above Homecoming 
Circumference at Union Square. It's going to be a really cool event. It's going to be on from the 28th of November to the 1st of December. So definitely check it out, guys. I'm going to be there with loads of cool local makers and, you know, artists and other creatives doing their thing. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I'll catch up with you soon. Bye. See you later.